Well, we haven't done a video in a while, so I'm happy yeah, about We haven't this. done one in a long time, so great. Go ahead and ask your question again. All right, so there was a uh, enthusiast, you know, a former alcoholic and now fitness enthusiast, and he said that um, that the brain science says, you know, change your behavior first in order to change your thoughts. So, you know, if you don't want to run, you know, just go do it anyway. And then you'll be glad you did after. And you, and even if you don't want to do it, just go do it. You know, and that's how you start changing the behavior. And mm -hmm. I thought that, well, according to Paticca Samapada, first you got to change your thoughts about it. And then your feelings will change. And then you go for the run. So, um, you know, so, yeah, I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Okay. Um, the thought is, is that, no, he is actually correct. But uh, perhaps he's not correct in the scope of it, but rather the initiation is where I'm coming from. Hmm. All right. And so um, for the very, very rawest of beginners, it does go stila, samati, panya. That's hmm. the beginner's path. Now, that beginner's path can, can be taken way too far in the sense of, of uh, a young man has to ordain as a monk and stay behaving correctly as a monk, including just find a following along with the chances but until they kind of seep in. But he's just, that's the only thing that's required of him is to follow the rules of being a monk. No mental training necessary at all. And uh, in some cases and in some traditions, that might go for years before the guy is actually giving any real meditation training. Mm. But that's not exactly the right way that, to talk about it that the Buddha is talking about because that's putting a really big time frame on it. And I think that that's why you said that he was incorrect is because both he and you thought that there was a big time frame in the sense that he's got to run and run and run every day, maybe an hour or two hours a day, he's got to run no matter how bad he hates it. He's right. just got to keep running and eventually he'll start to like it. Right. Right. Maybe not, though. Maybe he will continue to hate it, like most people do hate meditation. And maybe he will, in fact, stop it because he is uh, uh, not getting the benefit out of the running, just like most meditators stop meditating because they're not getting any benefit out of it. Sure. That's when things are taken too far. And in that regard, you're correct. So let's put the timing in here so that we can understand that it really is a one-two punch, but you can't just keep doing one, 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 one punch for a whole year and two or five or ten and then hit a two. Right. The one-two punch has to come really quickly together. Sure. All right. Well, so now that we've gotten that concept, we can discuss it in the way of that the sila is actually getting oneself into seclusion and secluding ourselves behaviorally. So an example of that is when someone is yelling and in an argument, his seclusion should be immediately to take the behavior of shutting his mouth. 
even though he's still boiling and burning inside, at least he has enough mindfulness to shut up. <laughs> Instead of being so greedy and want something so bad. And burning without it. Okay, so now we can talk about it in the sense of the seclusion and the sila are go hand in hand together. And the sila samati panya sequence can be as soon as the sila has been arrived to. Doesn't have to be perfected in the sense of long term. It just has to be good enough or pure right now. And that has to do with posture, getting away from it all, sitting up straight, getting the breathing going, and all of that kind of stuff is the behavior that goes along with it in the sense of the, of the Siva, so that then we can practice the gathering together of the factors, the Samati part, which means now we can go into first jhana. Because we're gathering the factors together of the of the samadhi, and then when we get the mind together, we can actually do the part of the paticca samuppada and the uh, uh, seeing how the mind itself works, not just memorizing a list of sequences of events, but actually see those processes in the mind. That's the important part. So once we come to understand then that we are not who we thought we are, that we're just a mental process, that's all that's going on, and that you can feel any way you want to feel by thinking the kind of thoughts that you are thinking, that's the part that the raw beginner doesn't have. The sila is to sit down and shut up. That's and and are uh, in the sense of uh, the guy saying that he is really sick and an alcoholic and all of that kind of stuff, and he has the thought, oh, I bet I could feel better if I'd go for a run. So well, if that's the case, then I mean, why did he even think about going running in the first place? There's well, still a mixture in going in there. There's still the thought, though. The thought is the forerunner in all cases. Now, the whole point is, is that he was actually getting himself healthier by running because when one is running, he's breathing well and he's doing a lot of the stuff that we do in Anapanasati without the running. The running is too much effort. All I want is the, the, uh, the benefit of the running <laughs> without the running. And we know how to do that. <laughs> so in this regard, um, the right thought does come first to go and do the sila. Okay, so we have to have the right intention right from the get-go. But this is an ordinary beginner's beginning. We have to want something which means that we have to want to get away from dukkha. And we're beginning right. to wake up that, oh, I'm not going to get rid of this problem by continuing to cause the problem. I'm going to have to get away from the problem by actually getting away from the problem. And that's the sila, to get right. away from the problem. Right. 
to put the toy back into the counter and walk out of the store, young man. <laughs> put your problem down. You don't need it. <laughs> right. And you're not paying attention because half the people in the store are watching what you're doing. <laughs> right. <laughs> so that's the whole idea is that we have to have the sila first, whether it's running or whether it's shutting our mouth or whether it's getting away from it all. Yes, that is the first step. But it's not the zero step. The zero step is to decide to take that first step. Right. And then the first step is, is to get away from it all so that we can now begin to gather the factors together so we can really take a look at what's going on. So the ordinary mm -hmm. path of the Eightfold Noble Path for the very, very raw beginner is to see enough dukkha to say that they've got to do something. The doing then, the getting away from it all doing, is the sila. Right. And then they practice enough to be able to see what's going on so that they can really see what's going on, okay? Gathering things together, getting the mind stable and quiet and obs obs observing and beginning to gladden the mind, et cetera, so that we can come into a state to where we can really see how the mind works and see uh, the way things are. This is the point then where this, the, um, the panya comes in, the wisdom to recognize, to see what's going on. Now the path changes. It turns upside down in a way, because now we're talking about the Eightfold Noble Path, and the Noble Path starts with noble wisdom that we got from the ordinary path. Hmm. So the sila is the beginning of the ordinary path, through the gathering together of the mind into getting the mind noble enough. And Bhikkhu Buddhadasa says we actually don't need that ordinary path that has been the Buddhism for centuries. We can go right to the noble. Hmm. That people are wise enough, they are smart enough to recognize they can start right off on the noble path. And so the noble, that's what uh, the, the ticket is from Achan Po, is, is that that's the way that we teach. We don't teach mm. the ordinary path, getting them up with the, to enough wisdom so that then they can get on the noble path. No, we start with the noble path immediately. Mm. We start with the wisdom of the investigation, investigating and looking and noting. And then with the investigation and the noting and the gladdening and the development of actually getting the mind in first jhana, in a noble way, now we can really see what's going on in a release kind of way. And because of that, the mind now becomes organized, which is the samadhi. Now it's not a practice of samadhi, of gathering together the factors. It's the completion of the job because the mind is now organized. It's now fit for work. It is now up to scratch in this moment. Sure. And because of that, we, nobody wants anything. If you don't want anything, then you're unlikely to harm someone to go get it. 
So what we're saying then is in the noble path that the sila is the actual outcome of the practice rather than the beginning of the practice. And in the sure. regard back to the guy that's a, that's a runner, he is now feeling like a champion runner. The very thing that was his um, um, beginning or the work that he had to put in of doing the running now becomes the prize. It's the end result. <laughs> Great. Well, it's actually interesting because he did AA first, and then he established his sobriety over a number of years, and then he got into the running. Mm-hmm. And then the running and the podcast kind of thing became his new life. But he had to do SELA first. And that's what AA is good for, for a lot of people, is establishing the SELA. Because it's all about that, the 12 steps. Right. You, know, you do your moral inventory and you apologize and you, you know, act righteously, you know, in the AA, you know, which is SELA. You know, it's all about SELA. That's what AA is about. Ah, but that's also wisdom in the sense of returning or repenting or turning around or giving back that which we were taking before the problems that we made we go and give retribution or uh, recompense or rehabilitation right that's part of the path but that rehabilitation the rehabilitation process is ordinary but the rehabilitated or the remanufactured mind is noble. Right. So a lot of people who join AA, they do not want to go back and make, and make up for uh, the trouble that they have caused. Right. And the Buddha says that that really is not necessary. It's better to really just walk away from it. Right. And that's so hard to do. <laughs> it really yeah. is hard to do. Wow, yeah. if that guy's insulted you, you got to go pay him back. Well, I actually prefer the Buddha's way because it seems like a big hassle to go call up everyone you've ever done anything or said anything unwholesome to. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of a long list, you know, when you think about it, you know, because um, it could just be very small. You know, unwholesome that you created. For right. Some, you know, like and it's, and it's digging so up in the past. It has some value to it, but yeah. it only has value in the recognizing of what we're doing wrong now and fixing it now. Right. Rather than now, we realize that ten years ago I screwed up. Let me go try to fix up ten years ago. <laughs> right. And so. They they would have been much better off telling him rather than going and doing that. Why don't you go for a hike, <laughs> a fast <Yeah>. hike? <laughs> yeah, that's what the okay. Buddha would recommend: is go take a hike, walk yeah. away, Walker. Well, it, well, yeah. <laughs> Except that there is only the walking. There is not the Walker does not exist. There, the Walker not be. Right. Well, it, it's funny, you know, Sandra said, like, she loves how if I'm ever annoyed, I don't even do or say anything. I just go be quiet for a while, and then I come back, and I'm fine. And and she tells people about this, and they're all amazed. Like, her friend, her mom, she's like, wow, he never says anything. No, nothing. He just gets quiet, meditates, and then it's fine. You know, and that's the take a hike mentality. 
Mm-hmm. So, and you just go take a hike, and you don't have to go anywhere to take the hike. You take the hike in your mind. But you this, taking the hike is the sila, though. That's the whole point. Yes. Yes. Okay, the first thing that we have to do is to take a hike. And some guys, in fact, here's here you don't want to talk about a big hike. This guy's got a job, a well-paid job. He's got a house. He's got family. He's got a car. He's got a uh, wife and kids. And he drops all of that, causing a great deal of kerfuffle just to get an airline ticket to go to Thailand or India or someplace to get away from it all. Then he then he takes on the ropes, okay? That's way too much. Right. But that's that's doing it great big or too big a time. Uh and that's the way we kind of think about it. Then a better way uh to get away from it all is just to close his eyes and sit there and stop thinking about his house, his job, his car, his wife, his kids. And really, with his mind, get away from it all. Because I guarantee you, if he goes to Thailand and does all of that, while he even during the uh, the robe ceremonies and his ordination, he will still think about his job, his house, his wife, his car, and his kids. <laughs> right. Well, the argument that guy can make, though, is, hey, the Buddha abandoned his son and his wife and his kingdom. Why can't I? Yes, and the Buddha recognized that that was incorrect. And yeah. his wife, yes, after he became awakened completely, after he figured out what was going on, he came back home. The thing that was is, is, is his mom and dad, or actually his, uh, not his mom, but uh, his aunt, uh, and his wife eventually, both his aunt and his wife became nuns and became, not nuns, but bhikkhunis. And the day that he arrived back, his son became a bhikkhu. Seven-year-old Rahula, six-year-old Rahula, he, he got his name. In fact, that's quite a famous story. So, yes, the Buddha did come back for... um recompense with the family or to reestablish with the family i didn't know that i thought he just you know i thought they went and followed him i didn't think that didn't know that he returned no he returned wow did did he establish did he return to the kingdom like did he uh return to the palace or anything like that i assume not where did he live well i i assume that he didn't spend the night in the palace but that he did come at least on two occasions Huh. Because the first time he was there, his wife was not there. Hmm. And she was pretty upset about it. The story goes is that she was doing her own meditation and in seclusion for the entire time that he was gone. Wow. But she was still angry and upset. And that what she had said to her son was... Uh, in a kind of a catty way, there is your father. Go ask him for your inheritance. Now, we're talking about royal families with big inheritance and land and all of that kind of stuff. And so she's talking about that because she real, she lived very, very well. Right. Um, and she didn't recognize that she was saying goodbye to her son when she said that. 
because her son did go and ask his dad for his inheritance and and his dad gave him robes and bowls as his inheritance right okay that's actually a very interesting uh warm-hearted story i like it very much yes he did go back and he did take his son and he also ordained his wife eventually did he ever talk about why it was a mistake for him to abandon his family? Did he ever like expound on that? Um, I don't think that he did abandon them, actually. That um, the story that I'm about to tell now comes from M. Bekar, who was the most famous Indian in Buddhism in modern times. Got lots and lots of books, college professor, eventually a politician, very, very well known, and a huge scholar of Buddha. Okay. And in his writings, he says that the, um, the, the story uh, <clears throat> is a misconception that his going, first off, the story of him going out of the palace and then seeing um, old age, sickness, death, and a monk and then coming back and plotting to secretly escape. That story is not true about him. That that's actually a, hmm. comes out of a sutta that he is telling Ananda as just an open story. But he also is mentioned in there that this was me in a past life, and many people say, yeah, and that past life was only 20 years ago. But Ambakar puts it back together that really was what was going on is, is that a because of a flood, the change of the course of a river created a huge amount of land that had uh, been uh, changed because of the river. And that because that came a dispute. The other part of it is also is, is that um, it had to do with lack of water. And who was going to get enough water to plant? But in either case, it was a conflict over land and groceries. And that his plan, uh, the Sakians, were the most belligerent and the ones who were really wanting to go after it and take back. I mean, they were the Republicans of the day. <laughs> and they really, really wanted to take back their land that this other group says, oh, well, we own it now because the river had changed. Right. And so the end it, he actually stood up in the council and says, no, we're not going to do that. And they all booed. And um, uh, 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 actually, he then became persona non grata in the kingdom. Hmm. And so when he did leave, he left with quite an entourage. He left hmm. with a horse. We know that he left with the groom for the horse. His name was Chanda. He left with Kandana, who was his teacher. And more than likely, there were several others, because these are the guys who followed him around for five or six years, practicing the various things. And then these were the five guys who were part of the, um, the troop that he went to to teach them the first sermon. Okay, so we're talking about always a group of people around him not that he escaped and stole into the night 
his wife was still unhappy and angry about the thing, and we, and, and we don't really have any idea or in the suttas that she could have been angry at him for opening his mouth and right. therefore having to leave as opposed to angry at him because he left. Because they're the same thing, you see. Right. Interesting. But she didn't suffer at all. So, so this is the story yeah. of Ambekar that he says is that that's what really happened. That it huh. was not as bad or the way that uh, uh, the magical thinking has has occurred. Hmm. I, I kind of like that better. I always thought the Buddha abandoned his family. And so, you know, I always thought, you know what, if I wanted to abandon my family someday to go do something like that, like go be in a cave for the rest of my life, that would be okay because the Buddha did it. <laughs> I've told myself that so many times. Yeah, except that he was able to stay in the cave and you can't. And you know that already. And if you haven't come visit and I'll go take you to one or two of these caves, it is very, very popular for monks yeah. and see if you're how long you're going to stay in that cave a day what, two what days if, a week <laughs> if i just stayed <laughs> would i have to get my visa renewed if i went there like would i uh would they just let me stay there if you just stayed in that cave the cops are not going to come to that area you don't have to worry about it and what about food would they just bring me food um, actually, um, you would go on Bendabat with, uh, Achan, um, uh, Metti. Okay. <laughs> you don't have to, um, ordain. And when you're ready to go home, just show up at the police station and they'll deport you. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Back to making it easy again. <clears throat> right. But that's where we had gotten started with this was is that a lot of people don't understand when they when they uh, think of Buddhism and the practice of meditation and Buddha and all of that. They think of it as a lot of work and a lot of striving, taking perhaps lifetimes of strenuous activity and everything. And that's exactly what the Buddha was doing. After he left the house. And he really worked hard at it for six years. Hmm. He put in more effort than anybody else. He was actually quite, you know, uh, uh, kind of like the, I mean, he was the prince. He was a champion. He was the star of the show before he left the palace. <clears throat> sure. And so naturally, whatever practice that he was going to encounter, he was going to be the very best at it. And so sure. he went to meditation, one meditation teacher to the other. Um, in fact, much of the actual uh, beginner's practice he got from Kandana. <clears throat> but then he went to Ala Kalama and then Rama Ramaputta. Um, actually, uh, Rama Ramaputta was Rama who was the son of Rama. That's the word Rama Ramaputta. And Rama had already died. Hmm. But um, his son understood all of the instructions and everything necessary for the fourth jhana and, and beyond. Um, and so uh, when he went there, 
the Buddha was only one who was able to are capable of getting into that mental state. And so they said, oh, you become the teacher. You stay here and teach us. And he says, yeah, I can do that. And so what? <laughs> Nobody else could do it. Only I can do it because the guy who did it is dead now. But this is not what I'm looking for. I'm looking for the end of suffering, not how deep I into meditation I can go. Right. And you see, the Westerners still haven't figured that out. They still think that they have to go deep into meditation in order to finish with their their stuff. For in fact, all they have to do is just change their mind. Change right. the way that they think. Not stop right. thinking and, and more. Then in fact, nobody can survive. If you got yourself into a good, hardcore fourth jhana, and you were discovered in the United States by EM, uh, uh, EMT or whatever like that, you'd probably come out of the fourth jhana laying on a slab in the morgue or maybe in intensive care. Or maybe they'd have you on, uh, 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 you know, a nose up your, your nose, uh, a tube up your nose and all kinds of stuff like that. Because yeah. they don't understand. Yeah, yeah. I mean, how relaxed can you get? Yeah, you just you're so relaxed that you're just a piece. Of, you kind of know that they're picking you up and taking you off to the station, but you just don't give a flying rip. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think Dad is pretty relaxed. That's pretty relaxed. Yeah, <laughs> but but that's the point. It's dangerous to be that relaxed. You have to right. be in the correct environment. Right. Yeah, but in fact, and, getting that relaxed and staying that relaxed can be deadly. Is it desirable? That's Which the whole funny, point. Yeah. That's the whole point. No, it's not desirable. I mean, maybe it's a, a good way to spend time. But no. the Buddha got, went, got up every day and went out for groceries. So that means that he didn't stay in those states all the time. He also had... Uh, Many, many hundreds of conversations with people. He was a trainer of men and nobles and all kinds of things like that. Perhaps if you set up straight. Yes, let me try that. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Yeah, he decided it was time to turn me into a bed once I laid down for a second. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yes, that that's in fact what Sila is all about is getting upright. Get up straight. Right. Um, or going back to the point about the, the hub of the wheel and the axle, the axle has to be really strong to do nothing. But sit there and let the wheel turn around. Right. So it takes a, uh, the, and that strength actually is part of that strength was what this guy was getting by running. Right. But it's actually a mental strength. And the mental strength is you can handle anything. Doesn't matter what happens. Right. That when death comes, seize it by the throat. <laughs> Take a good hard look at it. Know what it is to die. I mean, you only got one chance. Take a good close look at it. <laughs> and that takes a mental strength that most people don't have. We go into fear instead. We right. let the instincts take over, rather than keeping that mind strong and tough and upright. So those are sure. the things that the Buddha did practice and learn 
while he was um, practicing. And so many people do develop a mental strength. But the question is, is when is it noble and when is it not noble? Right. But all the nobles do have a mental strength. It takes a lot of strength to become noble and stay that way. Look at all the invitations it is to go back into his crap. <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> so, um, that's the answer to your question. Let's re review that again. And that is, is that, yes, sila is the first step. You have to learn to control your behavior. But the zeroth step is to recognize that you have to learn to control your behavior. Right, which is kind of the alcoholic hitting rock bottom, right? Rock That's bottom, exactly. Rock bottom is zero, is step zero. You got to make step zero. You got to stand here and be here now to recognize this is hell. Right. And for the runner, you know, they're having that first, you know, semi wholesome thought of, oh, I should go outside for a run. I should so, go outside for a run. So the mind is the forerunner. But the first step is then the sila, getting ourselves together, getting upright, getting, you know, closing our angry mouth. Uh, this is the kind of thing that we have to learn to do in, uh, as sila. And also, we can think of it as getting away from the problem or seclusion. That sila and seclusion are tightly interrelated. Right. Because, in fact, that's what seclusion really is, is getting away from the problems. And when you're completely away from the problems, then that's your perfection of your sila. Right. Well, it's fun. I'm, I'm excited because Salinger and I are going up to the island for two months on, on, on Sunday. And I'm excited for, for both of us because it's just going to be us up there, you know, nothing else. And I, I think it's a great time to get some, some sila in up there, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> some extra yes. extra doses <laughs> well, extra be sure also there. rather than being glued to her all the time allow coming and going allow her the time to be alone you can take the dogs for a walk right to let her be alone you know so you come and go get it into a rhythm or a cycle right right yeah she uh you know, she doesn't like being, I mean, yeah, she doesn't like being apart, you know, and to be honest, I miss her. Like, I really, you know, we've missed each other these past few days, you know. The first night was relaxing. Then <laughs> after that, it's like, oh, where's my family, you know. <laughs> but, you know, you, you can still get all wholesome, you know, and, mm -hmm. and take some deep breaths and pet the dog and all that good stuff, but I think, you know, once you form a you know, family sort of a connection where you're with someone all the time, you do miss them, and they're gone. I, yes. I don't know if you, yeah, and so uh, we both. But when you're other. with them, you become annoyed. Sometimes. Sometimes, certain, that's what I'm saying, sometimes. Certain, right? certain mind moments are annoyed, and then many so others that, so, are pleasant and, and enjoying. So that's it's, the it's time mix. then to take a hike, be, be the, become the walker. Right. Do the walking, go yeah. for seclusion, get away from the problem. Right. 
Don't let the annoyance be an annoyance. This is the way to um, to go. Right, and I don't really get annoyed that often. So I think Uh, that we kind of finished the talk. Why don't we cut the video recorder off now because we have covered the topic of your question. Now we're off into Never Never Land. (laughs) So, (laughs) all right. So enjoy the talk, folks. Sila comes first. First step. All right. Take care, guys. (laughs) Sila.